Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Those of you who have been listening to the show for a little while know that books are an important part of my life. And I know for many of the listeners too, this is a book crazy community. So today we're going to talk books. In the first part of the show, my guest Taylor Pearson will share with us how he went from writing a blog into becoming a full-blown author and an Amazon bestseller. His book, The End of Jobs, talks about the very movement that we talk about on the show. But today's interview is all about the process, which I actually find quite mysterious. Is how does someone actually write and publish a successful book? In the second part of this interview, I couldn't help myself but just to ask Taylor what he's been reading. So if you're just interested in some book recommendations, check out the end of the episode. And by the way, this was an interview that I recorded at that wonderful rooftop terrace. Thank you, Ian that we rented at DCBKK. And it was a great opportunity to test out the new portable recording studio that I've spent months lovingly putting together. You can read all about my portable podcast studio on the Tropical MBA blog. I recently wrote about it. So if you're a podcaster or create audio content, keep in mind that this show was recorded on the 44th floor of a hotel overlooking the city of Bangkok with wind blowing and horns blaring. And I think we were able to get some pretty good sound despite the circumstances. So I start this conversation by asking Taylor to summarize the thesis of his book, The End of Jobs. The basic thesis is for macroeconomic reasons, structural reasons, entrepreneurship is getting more profitable and safer and more accessible and jobs are getting more competitive and less profitable. So I was kind of trying to take this from follow your passion to like, this is actually a smart strategic thing to do with your life. So like the layperson's way to say it is like, I'm sitting here at this conference with these misfit entrepreneur types. These people are having better results than my friends back home who are going to pre-law or getting their MBAs and what gives. And that was part of our conversation at breakfast. We were like sitting around and we were talking about like watching all these dudes walk out of this conference in Bangkok and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go up to Chiang Mai for a week or go around to the islands for a week and then go back. And we're like thinking about, you know, friends at home, like working in law firms and like people at this conference aren't working dramatically harder than, you know, lawyers in corner offices in New York, right? But the outcomes are so different. How well do you think you executed when you look back at the book you know it's been out for a little while pretty well i guess i mean are there things i could have done better definitely like moments i had i think i was very fortunate in terms of like the people i had around me like there was a lot of people i was asking for advice throughout the process and i got a lot of really good advice do you want to name some of those people why not you mark manson jody ettenberg rob hanley john reinick jeff root jesse lawler Mike Worley, Ben Kruger. You forgot your editor. Alyssa Doucette. I remember I got the edit back from her, like the final edit of the book. And I wrote this like, oh my God, like I understand why editors get paid a lot. Like this is really valuable. Have you received any negative Amazon reviews or people that sent you an email that resonated? I'm always curious about that because you're making a lot of claims. Like has anybody came to you and said that claim's wrong? 
like the only feedback that's really got under my skin, like yeah, you get like negative reviews from people that I like whatever. I read the first two chapters and didn't like it and quit. Like that's fine. Right. I think like the only thing that gets under my skin is like someone said something like paints a pretty picture and basically said like he makes this look easy. Like you don't have to do a lot of hard work. It's true. Right? Like it's yeah. The baseline is you got to do a bunch of hard work. But if like you're going to do a bunch of hard work anyway, like be strategic about what life script you're investing that hard work in. Let me ask you a question about kind of a silly question. If someone listening to this wants to write a book, how long will it take them? So it took me nine months from the day I sat down to the day it was on Amazon for sale. So you're talking about like minimum word count for like a book book, not like, you know, you can put like a 60 page book on Amazon, but like, I think to feel like a book book, you're looking like 40 to 45,000 words from people I've talked to is like kind of the minimum. That's the new industry standard. It's been going down, right? It has. So mine was like 51, 52. So not much above that. So let's do two things. Let's talk about your daily routine, what the daily routine of an author is, how you're paying the bills, how much you're writing. And then let's walk through the months and talk about what happened each month. It really broke out into three to four phases. This is kind of how I'm going to talk about it at the event. So the first phase was definition. And then the next week or two, basically write a book proposal. And I have like no intention of shopping it to publishers or anything. I, I talked to a publisher since. She said they would have laughed at me coming to them with like the platform I had. And like, so you actually sat down and wrote a book proposal to yourself, essentially? Took it to two groups of people. So first group was like, I think other people that could have written the book. Like, what do you see that I don't see? Like, what's the opportunity here? What's like the hole in the zeitgeist that needs to be filled? Or what's the hole in the marketplace? And then two or three friends who were like the people I had in mind that I like like to read this book. Like friends I had back home that I was like trying to articulate what was going on. Like send them the proposal, like, is this interesting to you? Like what jumps out at you in the table of contents? What jumps out to you in the chapter? All right. So you're doing this for like the first few days, but at some point you got to get down to brass tacks, right? Right. But probably took me like a week or two, I guess like two weeks. And then I got to the point where I like felt comfortable and then took two months, maybe a little over two months and just wrote a really terrible first draft. So my goal was, I think 60,000 was the first draft, 60,000 words in a little over two months. Yeah, you can like work out the math. It's like a thousand words a day. And it was like really terrible in retrospect. How many of those 60,000 words more or less made themselves into the final nine-month piece on Amazon? I would guess maximum 20% of the first draft got into the final draft, and I would guess substantially lower. And that means that, you know, I'm not saying like you reworked a sentence. I mean, like that concept that you were talking about was simply thrown away. Right. So I'd say like at least half of the first draft, the chapters got thrown out entirely. And then the other half was like heavily restructured and heavily edited. How many hours a day were you working and how did you know what to write about? That's kind of a weird question, but you know, I've found myself occasionally like I would just rewrite the intro like so many times because I couldn't figure out where to write anywhere else. That was like the only place that there was like cement, you know, is like this is the beginning. The first draft, I just had like this word deadline. I, like you hear everyone say this, like write a shitty first draft. And so I just had this like thing in my head, like I have to get 60,000 words on the page before Christmas. So the conference was like mid-October. I went to Vietnam for two months and I was like, had my ticket back to Christmas. I was like, I'm not getting on this plane without 60,000 words in a Scrivener file. I wasn't very strategic at all. Like I had an outline I was working from, but basically I would like sit down and whatever was like most interesting to me that day, I would like write a thousand words about it. 
which is you know why most of them got thrown out but i think like in retrospect i would probably do it the same again because it's like such a big at least for me it was like such a big project and it was so hard to define that like you had to get something on paper and having like something crummy is like so easier to edit than it is to like have nothing so it was a thousand words a day and i had a when i did the proposal i had a table of contents and like each chapter was you know i figured it was like, okay this it chapter is like a blog post and so like i can write a blog post in a day that's the thing right you just like write 30 blog posts and they're 2,000 words a piece and that's 60,000 words and so you would wake up would you write first thing in the morning walk me through a writing day which would be five days a week six days a week or five to six days a week i tried to do it every day and i just burnt out i couldn't do that depending on the week i have 10 to 20 high level creative hours so like on average if I, i've got like 10 to 15 hours a week on average of writing in that was like a really good week. So two to three hours a day. I was doing it first thing in the morning. So like I'd wake up. I was still doing some consulting at the time. So sometimes I'd have a consulting call like 6 a.m. in Asia or whatever. Do that. And then like my first big you know work session of the day was writing. Did you find yourself pretty much wasted for any other type of work? Or did you still have the energy to then loop back and like do the business of the day, so to speak? Anything else creative? No, I was toast. And I remember specifically like one month in, I was like trying to write every day initially. And I like went to the hotel pool on the rooftop and my brain was just like dead. I remember like falling into the pool and just like trying to get my brain to shut off. I'd like gone to sit down and write first thing in the morning and I remember just like I couldn't make words come out. It was like I felt like I just like sucked all the juice out of my brain. Tell me about your writing environment on your computer. Is there anything that you've learned there that helped you along the way? So I use a program called Freedom. They have like a new beta version out called freedom.to and it's basically like block yourself off the internet. So I have like a recurring thing set up that I'm blocked off the internet every morning before noon. Yeah, so it's like scheduled and you can't disable it. Or you, there's like a setting you can do so you can't disable it. So like I couldn't turn it off. So like if I didn't want to write, I just couldn't do anything. Like there's no other alternatives. You're just like out of stuff to do. What about your telephone? It syncs with your telephone so it blocks you off the internet. What? Your telephone too, yeah. It's amazing. What about phone calls? I was in Asia, so it didn't really matter. And I had Skype forwards to my cell phone. What other kinds of things? That's fascinating. I didn't know that existed. That was a big thing. And then I learned Scrivener. I never used Scrivener before. And I think like anything under 10 to 20,000 words, Scrivener is kind of useless. But once you get above that and you're like having to move sections around, it's like invaluable. So you're getting on that plane in Christmas. And how do you feel about the project at this point in terms of like your confidence level? Do you think you were making the right decision. I mean, you had risked two months of your time to do this thing that had so much more left to go. Partially, I didn't realize how much it had left to go. I was like a little naive, which was probably a good thing. I don't remember exactly how I felt. Like the first couple of days afterwards, I was just tired and like glad to not be writing. I sent the first draft to you and two or three other people, two of whom basically it was like, this is terrible. Like it was just rough. Like there was no clear structure. There was no narrative arc. There was like all these rants. But then actually I sent like two friends from college. They're like, oh, like this is interesting. And I was like, okay. Cause like that's the target market, right? So I was like, okay, like what's interesting about it? And actually I had a coffee meeting with a friend. I was back in Memphis, was staying with my parents for Christmas. We like sat down for two hours and he like, like this is interesting. This is interesting. This is interesting. I was like, okay. Wow. And then I knew that kind of gave me my marching orders for the next draft. How long did the next draft take you? So the next draft took me three months. I basically did it in quarters. So first draft, Q4 of 2014. Second draft, 
Q1 of 2015, and the final draft was Q2 of 2015. You're stepping up to this document that has 60,000 words, and now the previous quarter you're supposed to be writing 1,000 words a day, but you've already written all your words. So how do you know what to do on day 61? I seen I talked four or five people, and I took like a week or two off. So I got it out of my head, and then I got it into some other people's heads and got their feedback. And then the first month of the second edit was uh, structural revision and rewriting the introduction. So I figured out all the things that were wrong, like in terms of what I didn't like about the tone and who I was talking to. And I rewrote the introduction. I probably rewrote the introduction 15 times. And then I did a structural edit. So I said, okay, like throughout maybe a third of the book, and then figured out what the best sections were and beef those up, and then I had to figure out, like, a narrative arc. So at this point, it's, like, basically a collection of crappy blog posts. Okay. And so restructuring them in some way, and I actually tried to do a sales letter-type format. So, like, the first two sections are basically problem. So, like, why are we at peak jobs? What's wrong with jobs? And then the next section is solution. So it's, like, you know, entrepreneurship is safer and more accessible and, like, breaks down Taleb and the long tail and all this stuff. And then the last one is benefits. So it's, like, the classic basic sales letter, like, problem, solution, benefits. And then case studies and testimonials. <laughs> yeah. I'm a marketer. I write sales letters. Like, I'll just make it a giant sales letter. And so that was how I restructured it. At what point during the writing process were you like, I got something here? It's like that moment when you see the ultrasound of the kid and it's not just a blob anymore. And it's actually like, this is going to be a human. Except with the book. Probably not until <laughs> two weeks after it launched. I sent like an early version to blog readers for free, like maybe two or three weeks before it launched. And I was like, I remember three or four of them wrote me back like, oh, this is like actually good. And I was like so relieved. Yeah, I was like mildly terrified or more than mildly terrified right up until it launched that people were going to, it was just going to be terrible. Let's talk about then the second draft process. You get to the end of Q1 in 2015. What's the book look like? Who do you send it to? What do they say? At that point, it's got some basic narrative arc, like very basic. And I sent it out, first I sent out just to basically early readers. I said, hey, if you want to read an early copy of the book, I would like love your feedback. And so I sent this out to like 70 people. I think probably 25 actually read the whole thing, which was amazing to have 25 people actually read it. And then I sent it to Alyssa Doucette, who was my editor. She spent like two weeks on it, gave amazing feedback. So I had all this like specific feedback from readers and then she was able to give like... I realized at this point I had no perspective on the book. I had like no ability to get a 30,000 foot view on it. I was just like two in the weeds. And she was like able to pull me out of the weeds and like do some more structural things to move big pieces around. Was there anything that was like shocking or that you resisted or? I couldn't even tell you now what section she cut out. But at the time I was like, no, you can't cut out that section. Like that's a really important section. <laughs> but I knew in the back of my head, 20% of the book needed to be thrown away. I didn't know what 20%. So when she was like, okay, this is the 20% to be thrown out. I'm like I wasn't happy about it, but I was like, you're definitely right. Like I'm sure 20% needs to get thrown out and you have good taste and a good perspective. So. so you get the feedback from Alyssa and from the 25 beta readers and you're sitting there with just mounds of stuff to do. Tell me about the final push. While she's going through it and the beta readers are going through it, I start lining up the marketing. So I start reaching out to like podcasts and blogs and all this stuff and try to do that like two or three months in advance so you can like actually schedule everything to go live at the same time got incredible balls that was basically what i figured out which was if i just like schedule all this to go live this week i like have to have it on amazon this week or i'll be so embarrassed 
then I'll just kill myself. It's just so depressing. He'll be like a guest on Rob Walling's podcast. and Exactly. By the time I got to the final draft, I'd already lined up the launch date. It was like scheduled. So there was like no recourse at that point. So I went in and basically did the same thing I did with the second draft, which is like made a hit list. So it's like, okay, I've got this much time and I need to go through like chapter one by this date, chapter two by this date, chapter three by this date, and then built in like a week or two of buffer. Because obviously like something's going to come up and it's not all going to get done in time. At this point, are you still sticking to the three hours a day thing? I mean, you don't have that 2,000 word guideline. So you're just setting mini deadlines based on what you know you have to get done. Yeah. So I was writing almost every morning. Tell me about the day that the book was finished. So it got finished, literally got finished like the 28th of June. I uploaded it on the 29th. So let me take this version of yourself and walk you downstairs to the breakfast room and sit down across the table from year ago, Taylor. What are some things you would tell them? It's going to be okay. <laughs> Calm the neurosis. Big inflection points for me in the book process. One was I like, got serious about marketing it. And this was like, yeah, I'll just like kind of put this together and like maybe like put it up in the sidebar and like maybe sell a few copies. And then I actually had a conversation with Rob Hanley, who's another DCer, around maybe January, February, like four or five months. And he just was like, look, like if you're going to do it, do it. Like actually like line up a marketing plan. Like you understand marketing you've been doing this for a few years, like launch it. And that was like a big inflection point. It was kind of like, man, maybe I'll like put something up. And and you did launch it. Yeah. So congratulations. That's quite an achievement, especially with something that you might not have considered done yourself. You know, it's weird because when we look at our products, that's always the case with them. You know, we always know that they're a work in progress. It's harder with a book, right? Because you're the author and it's your word. I think it's a different mind battle there. I think people that write books, my observation at least, is like have some special reverence for books in many cases. I could definitely feel that way to get over myself a little bit at least. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's not going to be great. It's a first book, but make it good and like work on it, obviously. But like, if you believe in it, like launch it. The Taylor's a pretty regular guest on the show. And every time he drops by, I can't help but to ask him what he's reading. And I couldn't help myself but to share a few of the books that I've been enjoying lately as well. So in this section of the show, I just asked Taylor, what books have you been enjoying? I'd never read Michael Lewis before. I read Liar's Poker four months ago, maybe. And he's like such an amazing writer, like makes you hate your just jealousy. Malcolm Gladwell recently said of Michael Lewis that Michael Lewis is like prolific. He's on like radio and a lot of his books have been turned into movies like The Blind Side, Moneyball. Malcolm Gladwell said of Michael Lewis that he's one of the most underrated authors of his generation and that 50 years from now, people still read his books. I think what's interesting about him, at least Liar's Poker, was like he's able to capture this like crazy time with such perspective. Like he's talking about bond trading in the 80s and it's basically like he makes it look so just absurd. And he, he like, he's right. <laughs> you assume all these like Wall Street guys like know what they're doing and they're not just like complete jokers. And he's like, no, they're like all complete jokers. He's like telling these stories like, yeah, there's like institutional investor just like throws away a hundred million dollars. And he like tells like, fo- he's like, yeah, I'm on the phone with him. And the guy's like, I don't want to look bad. <laughs> just like cut it and like run. It's like, oh my God. I got one. I was just at the movies the other day. Going to the movies in Bangkok is great, by the way. You can reserve your seat. You can get a big couch. You get to watch the King's theme song. It's pretty awesome. I saw The Martian with Matt Damon, Andy Weir's book, The Martian. Like, I just couldn't put it down. Afterwards, like, I thought, this is, like, sticky, like, Fifty Shades of Grey sticky. I couldn't stick to Fifty Shades of Grey, so maybe that's not a good... But in terms of how it's captured, like, the culture, 
like everybody's reading it and it's just so cool to see a book that's like earnestly about space and math and spaceships and solving problems and it's cool so my next one is waking up by Sam Harris. Why do I think Sam Harris is a bore? This is like my first exposure to him. It hardly seems like riveting reading to me for whatever reason. So what it was for me is like everyone's getting into this like meditation stuff. I'm like very woo-woo averse. Yeah. Like, you know, everyone talks about like the energy and everything. And it just... You don't want to hear about your chakra. Yeah. Maybe there's some truth there. Like, I don't, not like I have all the answers, but it's just like I hear that and like my brain is just like turns off and so it's like meditation from a neuroscientist perspective so he's like all right we did fmris on people and like what part of the brain is the self located in it's like oh that's a good question i had three or four people recommend it to me so i moved it up my reading list i think if you're like on the edge of meditation and like all these kind of like new agey things and like your bs radar keeps going off (laughs) it's like a great entry point into that because he's like look, there's a neuroscientific basis for contemplative meditation without any of the dogma. Here's a simple book that involves very little woo-woo, A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson. We're both big Bill Bryson fans. A Walk in the Woods is about the Appalachian Trail, and it's about a guy's plan to walk on it. And this is like a universally regarded, like terrible, boring experience. For I've never met anybody that's like, yeah, the Appalachian Trail, man. It's like it's kind of like it was a good idea at the time, kind of thing. And he just makes it interesting, and he brings you into it. I love the journey. It's something about like the power of good storytelling. Like he could write about it. leaves. Like it doesn't matter. It's a writer's book too, in that sense, because the actual narrative of what happened is pretty disappointing, and it's not a disappointing book at all. So on the writer's book, I finally read Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, which apparently you're supposed to read before you write the book, but no one gave me the memo. But the subtitle seems like kind of overdone. It's like on writing and life. Like It's kind of a big statement there, but I was like, oh yeah, this is legit. This is like on writing and life. Right. And I tweeted after I got done, like, this is delightful. Like, this is so good. I'm going to share with you the very top of a deep line of reading ore for me, and it's The Climb by Chris Froome. Chris Froome is the 2013 and 2015 Tour de France champion. I don't know how much I've talked about this on the show or with you, but I've just completely fallen in love with cycling. I've just become obsessed. I'm in the lust phase right now. In part, I was sort of turned on to it by Ian, number one, and number two, by some injuries that I had sustained. And I love to do something athletic every day, but when you're injured, it helps to have a little bit less of an impact. And, and you know, I'm mid-30s now. So I sold a company. I'm the ultimate midlife crisis cliche. You bought like two bikes in the last four months? How many? Yeah, you know, I haven't shaved my legs yet, but I do enjoy wearing <laughs> Lycra skin suits. So I've read probably 20 books about cycling and this one sticks out chris Froome's a really fascinating character sort of like the goody two-shoes to lance armstrong's more evil sinister run at the top of the cycling world another really good one is called slaying the badger and for those of you who are youtubers you can watch the espn 30 for 30 on this it's a fascinating story of like how cycling works it's sort of a team sport but sort of not It's really interesting, like the chess moves that happen on the road. And this is the story of Greg LeMond, who is probably the best non-drug-using American cyclist of all time, and his surly French folk hero and the rivalry between the two of them and sort of the political intrigue that happened. And this is a really fascinating book. So I'll actually put one business book in here. I read The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. Like Tim Ferriss goes on about this book over and over. And I was like, well, I'll finally pick it up. And I actually, I would definitely recommend it. 
it's always hard to find. If you can find like good old marketing books, like 20, 30 plus years old, and they're like still... Like Lindy principled. Exactly. They're like still really good. He just like points out some things that are so... Like people keep rediscovering them. Like one of the things he points out is like brand extension. There's like natural gravity that like you always want to extend the brand. So like Coke goes into Coke Zero and Coke and Diet Coke and Cherry Coke and they've got like 18 things. And like inevitably they end up cutting all these off and they like in almost every case would have been better just like doubling down on like what their core original product suite is. And I feel like I've seen that play out in like internet businesses. Cool. So one final thing, speaking of revisiting, I think for the third time I've gone back to read The Gate by Francois Bissot. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's stunning. It's about a Frenchman who was held captive by Pol Pot's Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. It's really well done. And it's one of the most stunning books about this region, you know, that I've ever read, Southeast Asia. And just war and captivity and human nature in general. It's a grim one, but it's good. It's so relatable, which is terrible. Like you can relate to the protagonist, but like the experiences are so... It's not fiction, too. Anyway, this has been a good one. Let's do it again soon. I hope you enjoyed this conversation about reading and writing as much as we did. You can find links to all the books and resources mentioned, as well as a comment section and an opportunity to leave us a voicemail at this post, tropicalmba.com slash writing a book. We'll see you next Thursday morning. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.